Oh, crap, that's the wrong tape. friends, and welcome to a very special Soap Poetry Intermission episode. Um, there's nothing really actually all that special about uh, this episode. Uh, it's really just the best name that I could come up with. Uh, I was racking my brain all day today at work, and that's the best that I came up with. Um, but yes, hello, and sorry that it's been uh, a like um, two months or so since uh, there's been an episode of So Poetry. Uh, I took October off as a sort of like quote-unquote strategic planning uh, month or time for myself to kind of figure out what I wanted to do with season four, um, which I have been getting guests or scheduling guests for, um, which leads me to kind of one of the reasons why I'm doing this episode is that in the scheduling of guests, uh, timing has been not the best. Uh, I thought that I would be able to get somebody a little bit earlier in November, but their schedule didn't super work out um, with sort of when I was free. And then with the holiday tour at the, you know, like last week, I guess, um, it's been tough. And, you know, like the, the kind of slog into the, the end of the year is always a little dicey to get people uh, to... To get people to be free, or to get people when they're free for like an hour or two uh, to talk, uh, you know, remotely or in person. Um, so, yeah, so the, I planned for an episode in November, but like a full episode in November, but it didn't, it didn't happen, obviously. Um, so I didn't want to go two full months between seasons or between episodes, uh, so this is going to be just a kind of a brief thing. Um, there is one particular poem that I'd like to read and sort of talk about because uh, I've been—it's been on my mind a fair amount since the first time that I read it. Again, let me take that. Let me take that again. Um, it's been on my mind recently because I read it again recently. Um, and it hit me harder than the first time um, when I read it, you know, maybe a year or so, handful of years ago. Um, so I would like to just, I would like to, to share that and share my thoughts on it. Um, and also uh, talk about, I guess, my plan for season four. It's um, a given, um, if you are... Listeners in the United States have probably will probably have been following this very closely, or at least were following it uh, in the month that it that happened. Um, I don't know if it made super big international news. I'm actually I'd be curious to see if, if my international uh, listeners or my international international audience was uh, sort of uh, aware of this. Um, but you know the Kavanaugh Supreme Court um, hearings and the sort of just shit show of that whole ordeal um, and the crap that uh, Dr. Ford went through and 
like the uh just her testimony which was heart-wrenching and then the the response on sort of both either side um in in reaction to it was just like that whole that whole ordeal was was awful and tough for a whole lot of people um not saying that the the outrage on both sides was equivalent um i think that the the people that were outraged um for dr ford um you know against uh sexual harassment and assault um, and the type of uh, allowing the type of person that would conceivably do that to one of the highest uh, one of the highest positions of, of law and judgeship in the United States is just mind-boggling uh, versus the outrage on the other side which I think is you know largely misplaced and uh, myopic and just, you know, not, I, anyway, um, seeing that and living that for the weeks that it was happening, um, made me want to, uh, want to do a season where I just talked to women poets like women poets and just women about poetry um because you know like i feel like there was uh a, a good amount of um rightful feeling that women were not being were not and are not being listened to um and their voices are not being heard or if they're being heard they're not being believed and they're not being taken seriously um so I wanted to do a season where I just I just talked to women and uh which ultimately was I was going to work out because there are a lot of uh women poets and other women artists that I've had on my list for a while that this would be a a good reason to to compile them all together into into you know a season. Um and then God, I don't know if it was a week or two weeks after that uh Trump touted out his proposal to like define gender as at birth um which you know like an attempt to uh legislate definition wise away millions of people and their identities um which is another you know outrageous on top of outrageous um so then i decided that uh in the face of that that i would expand um i guess the the theme of season four to being uh women female-bodied uh trans and non-binary um so if there are any listeners or any poets um any consumers of poetry, any artists that are other writers that, that, you know, are fans of poetry. Um, if you're listening or if you know somebody that would fit that bill, get in contact with me, send me an email. I would love to talk with you. I'd love to have you on, on this podcast. Um, I, 
I'm going to try to, to be a little more regular, which again is sort of the, the uh, one of the reasons of this particular episode. Um, I, I tend to operate in a sort of, you know, it happens, this podcast happens once a month, but there's not really a set schedule, but I'm, I'm trying to be a little, I will try to be a little more regular with that. Um, I would like to, if I could go back to two, um, two episodes a month. Um, I don't know if I will attain that, but that would be the goal. Um, because I, there are a lot of people that I'd like to talk to and I would like to have that, have them all exist in this particular season. Um, I don't know if I'm going to hit that mark. I will do my best. We'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, so anyway, if you are a woman poet, if you're a female body poet, if you're a trans poet, if you're a non-binary poet, um, let me know. Um, not just specifically that, but email me or contact me um, and we can begin a discussion to see if, if it works out to get you uh, onto an episode of So Poetry, if you would like to be on an episode of So Poetry. Um, but... Um, yeah, so that's, that's sort of the gist of what's going to be coming up. Um, I have, as it stands right now, uh, two interviews scheduled for December, um, which I will hopefully be able to get up um, in, a, in a reasonable amount of time and be able to keep that pace. Um, but I'm very excited. Uh, the first two poets that I'm going to be talking to are poets that I met when I did a residency at the Vermont Studio Center uh, back in 2017. Um, and they are both tremendous poets and tremendous women, and they, I'm just, I'm excited to be able to sit down and, and talk uh, poetry with them. Um, but all of that being said, all of the sort of behind-the-scenes uh, expository stuff out of the way, um, the poem that I would like to share with with everyone, you all, um, this episode is. Uh, get this title right. White Owl Flies Into and Out of the Field by Mary Oliver. Um, it is in her uh, collection House of Light. It is actually the last poem of that collection. Um, and I, I don't know if, if this has come up in other episodes, um, but I, I tend to read poetry collections in kind of a weird way. Um, my first time reading through a poetry collection um, I will go first poem to last poem in order and just, you know, do it the way that the manuscript was intended to be arranged or the, the way that the manuscript was is arranged. Um, and then on subsequent readings, I will usually read it backwards um, because for whatever reason, um, it is easier for me to pick up um, like the themes and the kind of motifs and the general arc of the collection uh, reading it backwards. I'm not really sure why, but the first time that I did it, um, it seems to have carried over to the other collections that I've read. Um, I think the first time that that, I, that it happened for me, or the first time I thought of doing it was uh, Jane Hirschfield's Come Thief. Um, I was working through my thesis and trying to arrange poems, and I was reading uh, that collection just for, uh, encouragement. And for whatever reason, I decided to read it backwards and it made sense in a way that I, the, the order of the manuscript of, of Come Thief made sense in a way that it never made sense before. And that sort of 
gave me a way to, to work out my collection. Um, but I've, I've picked up that habit and I will, you know, if I've read through a poetry collection a bunch of times, I'll usually, you know, now I will start at the back and work my way forwards. Or if I'm reading through a poetry collection for the first time and I'm struggling with, um, like, paying attention or just being present with it, um, I will then usually shift from to reading it backwards to front. Um, I don't know, it helps me concentrate and helps me stay present in the in the collections. But um, I was uh, cat watching for a friend over the over the holiday and um, brought a couple of books of poetry over there because you know I wanted to spend more than just a handful of minutes with the cat to feed it. Um, and the first book that I picked up was uh, House of Light, and I've read through it a number of times, and so this time I decided to read, um, start at the back and work my way front. And I, I read the White Owl poem, and it just eviscerated me in a fantastic way, but just gutted me completely. Um, and I've had that experience with Mary Oliver poems uh, before. Wild Geese usually does that to me. Orion always, always does that to me. Um, uh, Redbird, which I think is the last poem in her collection, Redbird, usually does that to me too. Um, but like I said way early in the episode, um, the first time that I read through House of Light, I, I don't think that the white owl flies um, hit me as hard as it did this time through. Um, and I'm I'm not entirely sure why, but I think I think it in part is um, I think due to the fact that in some of the poetry that I've been writing recently, uh, I'm working on a uh, it started out as an un unintentional uh, manuscript, but now it is I'm very intentionally writing it um, for whatever reason. Uh, contemplations on death have shown up a lot in that collection. Um, I don't know if it's because I recently, um, at the end of the summer, I guess middle of the summer, moved into an apartment that has a view overlooking a very large and very beautiful cemetery um, in Baltimore. I don't know if it's just, you know, it, I'm just, for whatever reason, it's just, it's, it's on my mind. Um, I've been thinking about, uh, my brother a lot. Um, I don't know, I don't know if I've, if I've mentioned him in the, in this, in the context of this podcast. Um, but, uh, we have not spoken in going on seven, seven years, seven or eight years. Um, and the, the first maybe six months to a year or so after us not speaking um it felt like i was processing the grief of like losing that relationship or losing that connection to him as if i was processing a death um and that sort of colored my way of viewing um like ends of relationships or people leaving your life um that when like when death occurs it is a more final version of that, or a more, I guess, a more complete version of that. Because if, if someone just leaves your life or you no longer have the emotional 
contact or connection that you had with them, but they still exist out in the world somewhere, then there is always, however its limit might be, there is always sort of a, a very baseline or very, very low key chance that you will have some, uh, some further interaction with them. Um, but when someone dies, like that's really it. But, you know, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no chance of, of any, any sort of further, further contact. Um, but um, I feel like the when people leave, like you lose those emotional connections, you lose those points of, of contact, you lose those tethers, um, and all of the sort of yeah, I, the image that that usually uh, manifests for me when I'm thinking about this is like a tree that's been uprooted, um, and so you know not only do you have the tree that's down as you know like that that one particular relationship but all of the the ways that that person has intersected and influenced all these other aspects of your life are now like that surrounding sort of uh ground topsoil area that the roots have been that the roots of the tree have been you know in all that comes up too so you're not dealing with just like a felled tree or a small hole but a you know like half a yard or half a lawn could be coming up with it depending upon uh, the position that that person had in your life. Um, so all that to say that uh, my brother has been on my mind recently, um, and I think that it has kicked up sort of the sediment and the, um, the silt of thinking about the end of our relationship or potentially just lack of our relationship as a, as a kind of death. Um, like lowercase death um but so for whatever reason it's been on my mind it's been showing up in in poems um there's been unfortunately a lot of roadkill um that i've seen on my way to work um it's fall so it's been a lot of deer um which is sad it's been you know foxes and, and raccoons um so it's uh it's, I guess, for death is just, for a bit, has been sort of just uh, in the periphery. Um, and then I read the Mary Oliver poem, and it, one of the things that I love about Oliver um, that I feel like is consistent through everything that I've read of hers is the way that, that she sees and interacts with the world. Um, that I think more so than really any other, any other poet. I've, I've seen, I've gotten doses of this with other poets, but it's never been as, as consistent or as, um, as heightened as I think with, is, as it is with Mary Oliver, that um, there is just heaps of emotional or poetic, for maybe lack of a better term, uh, truth or honesty. Um, that's just in her poetry, and I think that the because she sees the world in the way that she sees it, and she's able to uh, expertly transfer or expertly capture and transfer that vision to an audience, um, 
there is I don't know there's there's something about the her work or her questions or her her sight that feels true to me that that feels like she's she's seeing things as they are um, objectively potentially um, which will lead into something that I'm going to talk about in a little bit um, but it it feels like she's dealing or she sees reality as it is um, that at least when she when like in in the moments in her poetry that are on fire um, like her perception is in line with how things are um, which is in a roundabout of an interestingly um, I guess Zen way of seeing things of, of aligning your perception with reality or you know like you're you're expanding your mindfulness or awareness so that you are dealing with things as they are and experiencing things as they are and seeing things as they are rather than seeing and experiencing um, and being aware of things as the way that you want them to be or the way that you perceive them. Um, but um, I also recently finished reading uh, her essay collection, Blue Pastures, which I highly, highly recommend if if audience people out there have not read her prose do it it it's i don't know i don't understand how she's able to write prose with the same sort of uh energy and insight and fire that she writes her poetry with um but in one of her essays um she talks about how i think it might be titled foxes um I, I don't have the book with me. I lent it to a friend, um, so I can't check. I was actually uh, uh, kicking myself about that earlier today. I was like, fuck, I don't have the book to reference this. Um, but I found, I was able to find the quote that I wanted to, to, to use. But anyway, in one of her essays, um, she mentions that um, she witnesses some fox in their, their kits, um, or like I guess a, a female fox and her, her young out in the woods. Um, and the foxes are, you know, like playing with a stick or playing with each other. <coughs> and she describes what they're doing and then very pointedly says that what they are doing is not cute. Um, and later in the essay um, says or writes um, that something to the gist of the that viewing nature or viewing the world or viewing these creatures as cute takes away their agency and takes away their power and, and minimizes and um, reduces them to things that are manageable. Um, and then this quote, uh, thus we managed to put ourselves in the masterly way. If nature is full of hundreds of a hundred thousand things, adorable and charming, diminutive and powerless, then who is in the position of power? We are. We are the parents and the governors. The notion facilitates a view of the world as playground and laboratory, which is a meager view, surely. And, is an, and, it, and it is disingenuous, for it seems so harmless, so responsible, but it is neither. For it makes impossible the other view of nature, which is of a realm of both sacred and intricate, as well as powerful, 
of which we are no more we are no more than a single part. Nature, the total of us all, or the total of all of us, is the wheel that drives our world. Uh, those who ride it willingly might yet might yet catch a glimpse of the of a dazzling, even a spiritual restfulness. While those who are unwillingly, uh, who are unwilling. Oh, sorry. While those who are unwilling simply to hang on, who insist that the world must be piloted by man for his own benefit, will be dragged around and around all the same, gathering dust, but no joy. Um, so the idea that that to see the world as cute or adorable um, reduces it from a, a place of power and awfulness um, which is something that really surprised me the first time that I read House of Light um, and American Primitive and uh, DreamWorks, that there's, there's so much death in those, like in those poems and in, in sort of the periphery of, of those collections, um, which makes sense because Oliver writes mostly about the natural world and death is very much a part of the natural world. Um, and one of the things that I very much appreciate about Oliver is that she presents things without judgment. She's very good at, at describing and at presenting, but I, I, in a, a lot of her work, at least when she's dealing explicitly with, with the, you know, like the, the natural world, like out in the woods, um, or the the dunes or the sea um i feel like there is a a judgment that she refuses um to make or maybe even a, like a, a moralism that that she refuses to arrive at um and instead insists on just presenting things it's like this is how things are and she leaves it to the audience to sort of sit with that or to um to figure out how they feel about it, um, there is a there's a level of of reverence and respect, um, and I think wonder and amazement that uh, that Oliver has, but also a la a, a complete lack of naivete, which I think is is a is a marker of of her seeing the world as it is. It's, it's not it's not all rosy. It's not all good, um, but similarly it is not all terrible and all awful that there is that both of these things exist and neither of them cancel each other out that it, they are two parts of a of a sum or a total that is much much bigger than those two parts and contains things you know further beyond the the limit of of those two things or those two camps those two ideas um and as i was thinking about uh, her poetry and her sort of stance, uh, the stance that she takes in, in her poetry to the world. Um, it reminded me of an anime that I'm very, very fond of, um, that I've watched, oh geez, probably like two or three times all the way through. I think it, the first uh, series is only 13 episodes, um, so you can get through it real quick. Uh, but it is uh, Kino's Journey. For those of you who are unfamiliar, uh, it is an anime adaptation of a series of light novels, uh, or light visual novels, I believe. Um, and uh, they, it follows a protagonist named Kino, 
who rides around this sort of anachronistic, weirdly not fanciful, but more like fabulistic, fabulesque world on a motorcycle named Hermes that can talk. Um, I don't know if it's, I don't know if other characters can hear the motorcycle aside from Kino. It's been a couple of years since I've, I've watched it. Um, so I don't know if it's like a, like a Stewie from Family Guy situation where some characters can hear it and other characters can't, or if everyone can hear this motorcycle that talks. Um, but there's no mention or no reason given of why the motorcycle can talk. It just does. So that sort of, you know, like fable, you know, you show up someplace and there's a cow that can talk or, a, you know, a beanstalk that goes all the way to the clouds. Um, but the sort of... Uh, gist of the series is um it's very episodic um and it's a very very slow burn of a series but it's it's fantastic um and the reason that it's episodic is that um kino will only stay in a town so the the whole gist of it is that kino rides hermes to various cities or various countries each of which have their own sort of like thing um and kino will only stay there um for Oh, I believe it is three days and two nights um, on the principle that I'm reading from Wikipedia here that on the principle that three days is enough time to learn almost everything important about a place, um, which I don't know. I don't know if I agree with, but it's also revealed um, a little bit later in the series that um, a possibly more realistic reason um that Kino decides to stay in a place only for a set amount of time is that um, out of fear of if uh, staying around any longer will entice uh, Kino to settle the settle down and not continue on on this journey. Um, <coughs> but the anime itself, um, the the sort of narrative frame. Um, of it. It's not necessarily like a, a frame story, but the sort of the position that the audience has to the anime and the world that's being presented or the way that the, the director or the, um, I guess like the author of the series presents the world, I feel is a stance very similar to uh, Oliver in that it is full of depictions of, you know, like brutality, brutality and loneliness and oppression and tragedy, but it's set against like compassion um, in this in this world that is full of wonder and full of all of these amazing discoveries and amazing just like things that are that are out there. Um, and it also refuses to make moralistic judgments on the things that happen. It it is content to present these things or these occurrences or these experiences in a as objective of a way as you can present these things and just, you know, just give you this information and then leave you to do what you want to do with it. Um, it doesn't take you by the hand. It doesn't lead you anywhere. It doesn't say this is the moral. This is the, this is the thing. It just, it lets these characters exist. It lets, it lets them say what they want to say. It lets them do what they want to do. And then it leaves us to decide okay, what am I, what do I do with this? Um, 
and Kino as a character is also um, in a stance of I think understanding the world the way that Oliver does is that there is there's not a sense of naivete that Kino has at all. Um, Kino is a uh, skilled um, survivalist, um, very skilled with a revolver, um, skilled hunter, has been on this journey, I think, for a couple of years at this point, as when we, when we come into the, uh, when we come into the series, I believe that Kino is, has been traveling for, for a long time, and does a very good job of staying alive, um, and is also compassionate to people, um, <coughs> sorry, but is also not afraid to, um, protect people that need to be protected, um, themselves included. Um, and there's, there's not a sense of, oh, this world is wonderful and there's nothing bad or on the flip side, oh, this world is terrible and there's nothing good. It's that there is this sort of Kino's journey for me is, is an entire series dealing with sort of the gray space between moralistically good or moralistically bad that I think the world actually exists in. Um, and it does a very, very good job of just of presenting this world as as a world that is that is full of, like Whitman said, is full of contradiction. Um, <coughs> but um, I think that there's some that there is there's value in in that um, and this is this is something that I've I've been thinking about like what what the role of a poet is um, like is it or a role of poetry even um, that is it enough to is it enough to to like record and catalog and then present or report maybe i guess maybe that that's a better way it's like is 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 poetry that re that reports on the world that shows it that shines a light someplace and spends time understanding what's happening there and then presenting that information to the world in a way that um that is impactful um that that is that is moving is that is that enough um is is that i yeah i guess it's like is that is that enough um does it does it need to do something more than that or can can that exist as it is and then as a as a person or as a as a poet you can you yourself can then do something else but you can allow the poetry or the, the thing that you were compelled to write um can that just can that be what it is um because with something that i've i've been thinking about and struggling with kind of on and off um is that like should should i be doing more or maybe maybe not I don't know if that's the best way to phrase it, but is there, is my, is my poetry, is the poetry that I'm writing 
have value? I guess I guess that's really the the question is that not necessarily should I be doing more, but is is the because I feel like the answer to that is always usually yes, but is is there value in a type of poetry that does not necessarily um, push an issue or push someone overtly to act, but to this to prevent to just present someone with information and be and say essentially, what about this or what do you think about this? Um, I don't know. I I feel like there's there is value to that, but I'm not sure how far that value goes. And I'm I, I don't know. It's just it's been something that's been on my mind, and I I could probably ramble on about that for a while more. But um, as this episode, as things usually do, is getting wildly longer than I intended, um, I'm just going to close um, with the poem. Um, but before I do that, I would just I would like to say. Um, Thank you to everyone who's been, who has been listening, um, who is new to listening, um, who will listen at some point in the future to uh, So Poetry. I'm, I'm, I think surpassed like four years doing this, maybe longer. I don't know. I, I have to. I meant to check that before I started recording, but um, I've been doing this for a while now, um, and you like. People are still listening. Um, I got a, a couple of listens from um, someone in Japan. I got a listen from someone in Mongolia. Um, I, like I've been blown up in the UK. People on the West Coast have been listening a whole lot. Um, so I I would just I would like to express uh, obscene amounts of gratitude um, to the sort of disparate and far flung audience that seems to be. Uh, that seems to be grown up around this. Um, I hope that at the very least, this is, the podcast is enjoyable. Um, I hope that it's edifying. I hope that it's insightful, that it, it leads you to, to think some interesting thoughts or, I don't know, to have interesting conversations with people or to just, um, I don't know, to be comforted or to, to be challenged or to be... I don't know, expanded in some way. I, I, whatever it is that you get out of it, as long as you get something out of it, I'm, I'm glad, and I, I hope that the listenership um, of everyone out there continues. Um, so I just, I would very much like to say thank you. Um, and on that note, time for poetry. White owl flies into and out of the field. Coming down out of the freezing sky with its depths of light, like an angel or a Buddha with wings, it was beautiful and accurate, striking the snow and whatever was there with a force that left the imprint of the tips of its wings five feet apart and the grabbing thrust of its feet and the indentation of what had been running through the white valleys of the snow. And then it rose gracefully and flew back to the frozen marshes to lurk there like a lighthouse in the blue shadows. So I thought, maybe death isn't darkness after all, but so much light wrapping itself around us as soft as feathers, 
that we are instantly weary of looking and looking and shut our eyes, not without amazement, and let ourselves be carried as through the translucence of mica to the river that is without the least dapple or shadow, that is nothing but light, scalding aortal light in which we are washed and washed out of our bones.